0: welcome to insights for manufacturing a podcast that supports the uk manufacturing sector hosted by jeff beecham the manufacturer's recruiter hello and welcome to insights for manufacturing i'm delighted to welcome my guest today alan arthur who's the ceo at the gauge and toolmakers association or gtma Uh, I would like to say award-winning GTMA, but I'll let Alan maybe give you the the heads up on that. So welcome to the show, Alan.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be uh, invited on. And your reference to the award-winning, it's a small thing, uh, but we've been today recognized as uh, um, England's uh, best um, SME manufacturing trade association. So it's quite nice to get an award
0: absolutely well congratulations on that it's fantastic for uh, the association your membership and well uk manufacturing in general really isn't it it's all uh, all i think so yeah all adding to the uh, all adding to the excitement at the moment brilliant well uh, welcome to the show so just to get the, the sort of conversation started then for people that maybe aren't so familiar with the gtma could you just give a you know a brief overview of the sort of general services and support that you offer to your members and how that service adds value to their business?
1: Sure, I will do. Um, The GTMA, as you've mentioned, the origins are the Gage and Toolmakers Association. We've now added the tagline Manufacturing Resource Centre, which more adequately describes what we do these days. We still have toolmakers and uh, machining companies at the heart of what we do, but our membership has extended far beyond that in our 80-plus years of existence. The essence of what the GTMA does is creates opportunities Uh, for networking, opportunities for leads that should lead to work winning uh, for our member companies. The extensive membership now totals just under 300 member companies, all UK-based, adding value to the manufacturing sector within the UK. Very vibrant. Many are doing very well, I must say. And I think that the global shocks and disruptions that have been felt have simply opened up other opportunities for our member companies. Uh, Manufacturing is alive and kicking. And we're seeing a lot in the news about the ranking in the world of UK yes. manufacturing. I don't think we should make too much about that. Uh, but it is a significant contributor to our GDP in this country.
0: Absolutely. I think at number eight, we are at the moment, aren't we? I think yep, just, I just above so. France. And really good to hear you, you know, talk so positively about how things are going in general for your membership. You know, it's a busy sector. And no doubt, you know, reshoring is probably the, the buzzword that a lot of people are using at the moment, and, you know, long may that continue. So, um, yeah, that's good to hear.
1: I think I think it's very, it's very simplistic, um, if I can say that, to, to look at just plain reshoring. I think what's happened is um, OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, uh, brand names that you would recognise, but also top-tier companies, have been forced to look at their supply chain which has been ripped apart or disrupted. They've been forced to look at the total cost of things like tooling instead of just offshoring um, and sourcing it to low-cost economies. What's the real cost of that? And what's the impact on quality, continuity of service? And the other thing that's going on in the background, and this is where we're at the heart of uh, what's happening, the (coughs) supply chains are becoming ever more meshed. So uh, larger companies aren't looking just for a single supplier. They want to know that there is that supply chain network that is able to support their supplier. Yeah, and that visibility of the supply chain offers opportunities. Many of our members have moved between sectors. If you roll the roll the coin back, you know, ten years, you might say many of our members were prominent in automotive and aerospace. Well, many are still in those sectors, but they've diversified. We've yeah. got members now working in medical device manufacture, in the space and telecommunications side of things, rail. Um, And and that just continues to grow. Um, We've seen changes in procurement, and I mean particularly the British government, through the MOD and other bodies like like that, where they're trying to buy in the UK. Uh, And where large contracts are landed in the UK, that means those smaller bottom-feeding companies, those SMEs, then have the opportunity to bid in. And we see a real growth in that, where small componentry and assemblies are being sourced within the UK, where previously there would have been uh, possibly other powerhouses like Germany and Japan.
0: Yeah. Well, it's good to see that happening more often. I mean, I, I know, uh, you know, some of the, the recent defense, large defense contracts that have been in the uh, in the mainstream media are part and parcel of that discussion. And, yeah, it's it's great for SME businesses, you know. Let's face it, you know, is it around 90, 99%. Of, of the of the you know business in our economy is is sme generated so you know we we, we need to be supporting that as a government don't we whoever's in power you i, know, I, need I, to I be think supporting. it's thriving
1: despite of any government policy to be honest with yeah. you um it's not making a political statement i just think um, successive governments have moved to support other sectors yeah. um and the manufacturing yeah. industry has just got on with what it does really well um from innovation through to mass manufacture we, we are never going to be able to align ourselves and compete alongside some of those huge powers around the world. But what we do, we do very well. And reputation counts for quite a lot, particularly uh, when the larger companies are struggling with quality and continuity of supply. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I, I know, um, you, well, you and I met at the Interplast show um, a few weeks ago in, in Birmingham at the NEC. So we had the opportunity to uh, have a quick face-to-face chat before uh before we lined up this podcast um and i understand it's been about a year since you sort of took over as ceo at, at the at the gtma how you mentioned some of the sort of changes over that 80 year period what 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 have been the sort of changes in the last sort of 12 months or so that that you may have been involved in or has have there been any sort of shifts in, in more recent times, uh, as the, the GTMA has evolved, that, that's sort of, you know, worth worth noting?
1: I, I think so. It's worth mentioning here the, the previous incumbent, the previous CEO, um, Julia, was in place for 25 years. Yes. And she oversaw a significant change throughout that time, not just one step change, and, and was able to align the GTMA for what was required coming forwards. So her her visionary approach was absolutely excellent. You know, I I inherited a really excellent portfolio and an excellent team in the GTMA. And what we've done over the last 12 months is push forward on that agenda. Um, Certainly in the last 18 months and particularly in the last 12 months, we've seen a regionalization. Um, So not just reshoring. Uh, but um, there are initiatives in place in the UK to stimulate growth in certain regions of England yep. and in Scotland and in Wales um and that's promoting companies to grow and to move and to migrate um we see changes in in the energy sector for instance that that largely props up the northeast and up into Scotland yes where where we're moving from the emphasis on 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 drilling for oil, etcetera, through to renewables, but there's also the decommissioning work for the oil and gas industry. So there are massive opportunities there, and some of those regional authorities are able to offer stimulus or packages that actually encourage that. Um, we are running an event next year in Wales. We're running another event up in Scotland. Um, I'm in Glasgow uh, later on this month uh, for a supply chain event, and already we've drawn or attracted attention by a number of bodies from Scotland who want to work with us. Um, This isn't about world domination. This is about representation. Um, And I, I just feel that it's so important to keep these themes going. Where we see new opportunities, we have to go forwards very quickly to be able to advise our members and provide that market intelligence. They don't always have the opportunity to do that. If they want to get up to speed very quickly, we'll brief them. We produce a magazine biannually that yeah. that puts forward those key elements things such as the Rolls-royce initiative to um develop and build modularized um nuclear reactors which will basically commoditize that sector yeah now that's a manufacturing challenge they can already build the reactors they're putting them into uh into submarines what's the the real challenge is for rolls-royce traditionally an infrastructure company and a power company to turn themselves into a manufacturing company yeah. where they're doing a production line assembly akin to what, what happens in the automotive sector. So massive changes, again, massive opportunities. And SMEs are not always well equipped to promote themselves, but also to identify how they get into that supply chain. And that really falls yeah. to us. That, yeah. That's our job.
0: Well, that's really good news. And uh, yeah, the the whole sort of mini or small nuclear reactors. Yeah, there will be people out there that aren't fans of nuclear power, full stop. It's, you know, it's not for everybody. I'm personally pro um, nuclear power. But that's just my opinion. Um, but I think these small reactors, you know, are are so important. If the technology is already there and we're already using it, you know, for, for subs and things like that, then... Uh, let's face it, you know, if we're not digging coal out of the ground anymore and wind power, you know, uh, is there enough of that generated, all these other renewables? I I don't think it's a conscience
1: issue. I I really don't think it's a conscience issue. It's a technology issue. Yeah. Um, And whether that be, uh, whether you're a supporter of electronic uh, electric vehicles, EVs, or whether you're a supporter of uh, hydrogen or whatever the propulsion system needs to be for a vehicle, If you're a manufacturer what you're looking at is what does this mean for the componentry there's no doubt about it moving moving away from internal combustion engines reduces the number of components that a vehicle needs yeah however there are other elements to that system the delivery of the system the distribution the infrastructure of Mm -hmm. distributing hydrogen how do you get that hydrogen into the vehicles what componentry do you need for that so you As a manufacturer, you've got to be open-minded to these things. Of course, what you do day-to-day may appear to be the same thing every day. But over a short, medium, and long-term period, that changes. It's subtle. And the type of people you need, the type of skills you need to retain in your business and attract your business change constantly. Um, It's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. Uh, The employment opportunities in manufacturing at the moment, I would say – Certainly since I started in engineering in the early 80s, uh, it's never been better. For those either skilled or wanting to be skilled, there are massive opportunities out there, uh, whether that be in the propulsion systems, as I've explained, for, for vehicles, or whether that be in the alternative energy sources, of which we will need every version. Every, every version will come into the mix of energy supply yeah. in the UK, and if we leave it alone, others... Will pursue it, and others will develop that technology. Others will have that ingrained in their education system, and they will be supplying the engineers of the future. And yeah. that cannot be. We need. We need to be in the game.
0: Well, that's just. I mean, I've spoken about the the sort of skills crisis, if you like. You know, with a number of podcast guests over the last sort of eighteen months, and you know, here's a, a, another reason why. You know, manufacturing and engineering should be appealing to. The youngsters of today, and, and you know the, the the sort of workforce of tomorrow. You know, it's not just about you know making things that are nice to have. It's you know we, we need to make things and have technology that enables us to survive and heat our homes and get us all around. And when you factor in the environmental side of things, you know the younger generation are really sort of hot on that, aren't they? It's it seems to be very popular. So. You know, organizations like GTMA, um, you know, I think are in a really good place to to be able to harness some of the curiosity of of the youngsters of today. And, you know, to get that message out there that, you know, tool making or, you know, manufacturing components or jigs and fixtures, whatever it might be, is not this old fashioned, dirty, um, you know, factory based role where, you know, it's all the same technology is changing rapidly and we do need people at all levels in that um, in that talent pool coming into to businesses uh, to make a difference so um, well,
1: and we need to educate people continually on yeah. how that's changing it's yeah. not about for most people it's not about standing at a machine the machine will do what the machine can do yeah it's about the integrators. It's about how you're smart at feeding the information into that machine, how you're smart about using the technique to actually manufacture the goods it's manufacturing, and how you integrate that machine with other machines using robotic technology and other transfer mechanisms. And all of that now is also done in a virtual environment. Um, So so the concept of the digital twin is alive and kicking. Um, You're not going to get sign-off for a massive investment. Without first having visualization of how that works, right down to the fine detail, yeah. and quite quite often these things are modelled in in the virtual world, down to every last nut and bolt, and so you can simulate how the factory is going to work before you've even laid out the first pounds or or, yeah. or dollars or, or euros <clears> to actually invest in the equipment, um, and it's very exciting. and And you put alongside that the learning systems, the deep learning engines, and AI that's coming yep. into the marketplace. Nothing, none of this stands alone. Um, I, I was one of the, not the pioneers, but one of the early adopters of additive manufacturing or 3D printing, as you might call it, in my postgrad studies, studies um, back in my days in Nottingham um, in the 90s. Yeah. So it's been around for a long while. But right back then, those of us involved at the heart of it knew that it was a technology that needed to be integrated. It won't change the world. Nothing does. What happens is you chip away, you change yeah. how things happen, and those those small changes make bigger changes. So now we see typically people in a manufacturing environment running additive manufacturing 3D printing as part of the integrated response to a customer, be that early models, for visualization, or be that actual products that are yeah. then fitted to or, or adapted to um, existing components
0: absolutely and, and the sort of additive manufacturing or 3d printing is you know i mean that's a, a sort of sector in itself that's just going vertical at the moment isn't it you know and it's uh
1: it's, again, in, but I, it's, ena- it's enabled by other technologies alongside it um yeah, yeah. high-speed machining and, and control of cnc machining now means that you can get such accuracies that couldn't have been dreamed of before surface yeah. finishing is a whole technology of its of its own both creating surfaces and also measuring those surfaces and then explaining in a, in a data sense what those surfaces look like down to microscopic level which yeah. is vital if you're going to have functional surfaces for things like um, turbine blades or the, or the inside of of air ducts for formula 1 race vehicles or if you're going to then to apply some micro or nano coatings to the surface you've got to characterize it So the whole calibration, metrology, surface measurement, all of that technology comes into it, and that is at the heart of manufacturing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for a youngster, I guess, uh, you know, it certainly opens the mind. It's, um, yeah, a bit mind-boggling sometimes. I'm not an engineer. (laughs) You know, I've been in and around you know, all, all of the manufacturing processes that are out there over the last 25 years. I've come across them in some shape or form at certain parts of my recruitment career. But um yeah, when you when you look at the technology involved in how to machine components or how to how to develop a a new machine that, you know, the guys over at the MTC Manufacturing Technologies Association, all of these sort of organizations helping manufacturers create the stuff in the first place is okay having a design but how do you actually make that and they're they're coming up with you know wonderful uh you know new technologies you know to to take the whole industry forward it's uh
1: it's it's team spirit jeff yeah because yeah it's not only the physical team of the people it's the physical team of the technologies so so it might be necessary to, to to have a flow system That involves CNC machining or computer numerical control machining, uh, CAD data feeding in at one end, robotic transfers in the middle, um, some surface preparation in the middle, then some additive manufacturing taking place to deposit preferential material to give it wear characteristics, then inspection systems. And so it goes on and on and on. Um, And that isn't seen by the consumer. The consumer sees a product. Um, But even the packaging on that product has to be manufactured. And the machines have to be manufactured to manufacture the packaging. And so it goes on. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful stuff. So just going back to the, you know, the the topic of, of sort of skills and the you know, we, we we spoke about sort of supply chain challenges and and reshoring and all that sort of stuff how how is the gtma actually supporting its members in addressing some of those issues you know what what, what are you involved in to sort of uh, you know provide that support
1: we're able to to do a number of things we're not able to do everything um delivery of training across the uk is very patchy in terms okay. of tool making, yeah. in terms of machining some is delivered at colleges uh, if you go to if you like the the traditional heartland of the west midlands um there is something of a void that's been filled now with companies such as uh, Incom, uh, which is um, yeah. a, a training delivery company. They've got several places across the West Midlands, and they train apprentices from the sort of 16-year age group right through to level six, which is um, full degree status. Yeah. And, and I think they've
0: partnered with C Brandauer for their, their tooling academy, is that right?
1: they have indeed and they're delivering bespoke training into Jaguar Land Rover yeah. for for the people who mind the tooling so they're not tool makers they're yeah. people who are expected to watch the tooling to look at the tooling operate in the factory to check the tooling to service the tooling when it, when it when you get a breakdown and things like that yeah. and so a company like incom is absolutely vital as one of the key links in the chain to provide that bespoke training And to enable companies such as Jaguar Land Rover, where they can't recruit recruit tool makers to do that job, what they want is people with plus plus knowledge. Uh, And really, that's how that happens. In the background, also, all of the apprenticeship paperwork is all being rewritten and resubmitted to the government. So we're part of a group of organizations who are funding and helping that happen uh, for the tool making side of things at level three, um, which is standard apprenticeship level. Uh, tool making so we're delighted to be part of that and we're involved with a number of universities as well it's important for us to keep our not just finger on the pulse but keep keep the GTMA uh, membership involved with projects that can actually draw benefit in the sort of medium to long term so where integration of technology is part of a university project. We want to know about it because we've got members who can partner the university to help make the best job out of that. And indeed that's happening in many cases. And I would include in that uh, the University of Nottingham, University of Birmingham, Warwick University, down into Bristol um, and a number of others now in the north of England.
0: Great collaboration across uh, different levels there in in, uh, academia, you know, the universities are important. The apprenticeships are important technology providers are important so yeah there's a i've um, got a visual jigsaw puzzle here that's all fitted together <laughs> from from your explanation there thank you it, very it, much for sharing that
1: jeff it's not all great news of course it's not the yeah. prospects are great and the opportunities for individuals are superb at the moment mm. the wages that you might expect for for um apprentices and and graduates are very very good um inevitably in any profession you come in at the bottom end and you have to work your way up but those opportunities for progression are truly there now for those who want it Um, and they can can grow very quickly and what we've talked about earlier in this podcast about the technologies is absolutely vital and unless we keep pushing that in the UK we won't attract the best talent into the engineering pool to exploit the new technologies of tomorrow.
0: You, you mentioned uh, well, new technologies. We we spoke about additive manufacturing a bit earlier. What, what do, you, do you just want to sort of throw a little bit of a, a spotlight on some of the other emerging technologies that are you know helping to shape the future of manufacturing? And how's the GTMA sort of a, a, adapting into those sort of changes?
1: Sure, uh, I think one element of that is, is accuracy level, um, okay. where new technologies, non-contact measurement. Um, use, using lasers uh, to modify surfaces, that is a technology that's that, that, that's come down into the micro scale and yeah. it's going down into the nano scale now. So that, that, that surface modification is absolutely vital for everything from replacement to hip and knee joints, mm. orthopedic type work, right the way through to wind tunnel tests on components that fit on, onto high speed vehicles, I'm talking about here um aerospace type vehicles and and ballistic technology. Yeah. Um so th- so that that granular um level of technology is being enhanced all the time. The ability to visualize and interact with with haptic feedback, you yep. know, something that doesn't it doesn't even exist yet is absolutely vital. It's tested, it's proven before people embark upon the actual investment in in the Infrastructure and the technology to actually be able to co- create the components that they want. Yeah. So that's going on, um, and the the movement around the world of of technologies means that the biggest change we're seeing is, and I've mentioned it before, in the integration, in in the yeah. seamless, speedy movement of no- of data of knowledge, be it yeah. globally moving or even within a factory. Yeah. and that that data being retained and being a known entity so it, you know we would all want to make sure that every medical device we ever used was traceable back to the people who made the components we all want to know if we're in an airplane that that's not going to fall to the ground that everything yeah. back to the source of the metal ore that goes into making the spindle for the wheels you know it's all been tested and it's all traceable and and that industry four concept that that seamless data yeah. is a massive area of technological growth. Yeah. There are other techniques that are coming out um, for um, manufacture without tooling. So, additive manufacture will be an example of that. Yes. But there are there are other techniques using lasers, using um, robotic um, uh, implements to actually shape heat metal and solids yeah. um, without the use of tooling. And those technologies will come to the fore. And then we move into the realms of, if you like, uh, the kind of what we we would say is make-believe. Um, that's the new, new materials. The materials okay. we don't even know about yet that might first feature on a James Bond film and then come into reality. Um, you know, if we, if we look back at old James Bond films from the 70s and 80s and we all wondered at that futuristic technology. <laughs> well, it, it was there already. Yeah. And it came yeah. and it went and there's new technology now. Uh, and I think that, that that realm of future gazing, I think, is really, really important. Um, the, the future um, human achievement, if you like, on the bigger scale, is going to be in space. It's going to yeah. be all about communications, and it's going to be all about space. And satellite technology is right here in the UK, not just the satellites that are sent up, but the control of those satellites from here on planet Earth. Yeah. Um, so we've got a great footprint in that, particularly down the sort of M5 corridor, down yes. in the sort of Bristol area. Yep. A lot of technologies around there that specialize in that area. During the last five years, quite a bit of movement from aerospace companies um, in the supply chain, looking into the space supply chain. Yeah, um, I know at the l- latest uh, DSEI show this year, there was a, a specific um, uh, uh, hangar, if you like, or, or huge area given over to space technology. It's not right. so dissimilar to aerospace, but it has its own demands. Um, yeah. Can't get it back is one of them. Yes. Um, so once it's up there, it's up there forever, uh, yeah. pretty much. Um, so new techniques have to come about. New materials will be driven by that exploration. And it all comes down to, you know, Joe and Jane working in a, in a high-tech factory, coming up with something new and being yeah. able to do something in a better way than someone else.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you about R and D. Yeah, you know how how's research and development um, helping drive the manufacturing sector? And, and I suppose that's that's what you've been talking about. It's these people behind the scenes that are developing, mm-hmm. you know, maybe materials or um, mechanisms, components, you know, that are developed for years and years that we we don't. Well, the end user doesn't always see anyway. But um, even the manufacturing businesses won't be aware they're going to be using different processes maybe in the next five or ten years or maybe the next two years to what they have traditionally so there's a hell of a lot of work going on in r&d isn't there
1: there is and i'll come back to banging my drum on the word integration yes Um, you you know ideas come from people but they need to be put into the realms of reality yeah so so you need that collaboration between companies that can do it people who can think about it And right in the middle are the people who look at the actual design for manufacture. Mm. Is it possible to actually manufacture what we're actually coming up with? And do we have the materials available? And if not, who can give them to us? And how can they give them to us? And when can it come? And then how can we program the work? So it's not looking at things in isolation. It's looking at that whole gambit and bringing forward the technology. And and we do it very well. The universities in this country are very um, intellectualized. Um, They tried to gear gear themselves up more as um, applications-based. But actually, the best way for them to do it is to grab hold of two or three trusted manufacturing companies and form that alliance. And, and, you know, universities like the University of Warwick have been very, very good at doing that. And other universities, Heriot-Watt also, um, of of, of aligning themselves with key players in the commercial marketplace and actually achieving much more because of that. Uh, and we'll see more of that going on. Uh, and you know, we, we applaud it. And lots of our members are benefiting from that. And again, that isn't, this isn't about highbrow, lowbrow. This is about keeping our members informed of what's going on. They have then the informed choice yeah. to go and chase down the opportunities.
0: Yeah. There seems to be a number of uh, sort of businesses springing up, you know, startup businesses that have been spun out of university um research you know and that's that's really great to see Well, i think
1: you see that particularly sorry jeff to cut across you but on the medical device side of things that the the innovative inventor type people come up with a great idea they exploit it through commercialization of that idea that grows into a bigger company they feel uncomfortable being in the bigger company the bigger company carries on commercializing that and some other ideas and that individual moves on and starts up again yeah with a new idea and that is that is the british spirit i yeah, think yeah. we have kind of captured innovation right there
0: yeah innovation uh, w- w- coupled with the entrepreneurialism um Absolutely. but that's the thing about entrepreneurs isn't it you know sometimes they have a great idea but then you know they'll have a, a a concept but then don't necessarily know the best way to to make something or even take it to market you know it's it's a mix of different skills isn't it, and, it is. Which, which makes it all, 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 a, all a challenge and, and more interesting when, when these things work.
1: And commercial um, organisations are risk-averse. Um, you, know, you talk yes. to any board of directors and try to get some money out of them, the answer <laughs> is, well, what's the return on investment? You know, yeah, that,
0: absolutely.
1: It, it has to be that cynical view. It has to yeah. be a realistic appraisal of what the risks are around it. And if the risks are acceptable, then the investment comes. Yeah. And, and I think that's where those partnerships work best. A, a realistic appraisal of what could be achieved, you never quite know. You yeah. don't know how much you're going to to lose along the way, much financially or time-wise. You know, is 90% acceptable to you in terms of achieving the aim? Is 80%, 60%, 50%? Mm. What value does that bring? Um, and all of those assessments have to be made at the academic level and at the commercial level. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, there's there's a number of different um, topics we've covered, all feeding into you know the the sort of current and ongoing and future success of, of UK manufacturing. What what about sustainability? Because I mean, this this is a huge huge topic at the moment. Um, what what sort of projects or initiatives are, are GTMA involved in to sort of promote or help uh, you know manufacturing practices uh, you know amongst its members in terms I'm of sustainability? Glad.
1: Well, I'm glad glad you've sort of uh, put it into that context, Jeff, because often people talk about sustainability as not doing anything. If you don't do anything, you don't generate a carbon footprint. That's not realistic for making things because as soon as you try to make something, you're generating heat, you're consuming. Uh, So it's about the careful, calculated management of those resources, be that the energy that's put into the process or be that the people. Or be that the actual the chemicals, the the the, the product, and the circularity of that. Mm. How is it managed afterwards? Um, we we've we've had a long journey to go away from joining together bits of plastic that can't then be taken apart. You know, mo- most assemblies now, where they are dissimilar materials, are dismantlable. Yeah. So they are fully recyclable. It's not necessarily true of things like composites, where you're looking for an interwoven. Uh, sometimes literally interwoven material that can yeah. never be separated out again. But most sub-assemblies can be dismantled now. And that's been a major move forwards. And this idea of circularity is taking account of where does it go afterwards? Yeah. How long does that product last? When and how and who will disassemble it? And then what happens to those component parts? Yeah. It's not it's not good enough to just say, okay, well, we're, we're going to make part benches out of the waste material. Because what happens to the park benches when they come to the end of their life? Yeah. And I think that longer vision is there now, people are having to look at it. Um, several other factors are pressurizing manufacturers down the road of true sustainability rather than what we hear of Yes. Um One of the key factors is, is the trickle down. Anyone who wants a government contract now has to demonstrate full visibility of the carbon footprint, not only of what they do, but of what their suppliers do. Yes. so many of our members who probably never thought it was coming to them are having to comply with effectively the sustainability requirements of a top-tier company just to mm-hmm. become a supplier um so where do that how do they handle their waste product yeah. how do they handle their waste uh, fluids how do they recycle their cutting fluids you know what percentage are they reclaiming what what technology can they be adopting so Uh, One of our members uh, who are into pattern making have just won the first King's Award for Sustainability and Manufacturing. They have many initiatives that they've employed, including changing their shift pattern to exploit availability of energy. Um, They haven't just gone through this routine changing your lighting um, to improve the energy side. They no longer accept plastic into the factory. Um, They collect cardboard from all of the surrounding companies free of charge and actually use that cardboard in a threaded format and um, to pack their components to send them out they yeah. track all of their packaging in and out of the company so they can put numbers on the doors so yeah. when the when the big uh, client comes calling and says can you prove your carbon credentials the answer is yes they can so sustainability coming back to your introduction which was posed absolutely correctly yeah. it's about careful exact management of the resources trying to limit the impact from what you need to do to make the component and taking those sensible decisions, making the investment and making sure you chart how that investment returns back into your company. Yeah, Your ability to win new work should be one of those factors, that the fact that you're reshoring work, so you're removing those miles that would have been traveled by offering the product in this country, that is a key element to it as well. And yeah. this is often passed over when people look at the price of a component.
0: Absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad you sort of finished that sort of that that sort of paragraph on that particular topic. You know, it's it's about the overall cost and benefit, isn't it? It it's, it's, yeah. shouldn't, it should never be just about price. Uh, so there's there's lots of things feeding into that, and I guess from my point of view, you know, I've, I've spent you know many years, nearly twenty five years recruiting within engineering and manufacturing, and. Yeah, I've, I've come across things like DFM, design for manufacturing, design for assembly, um, you know, but where we are in in the world at the moment, you know, um, from an outsider looking in, because as I say, I'm not an engineer, but, you know, wh- when I start trying to think of how this process actually works, you know, you, you are, you're going to have people now who are designing things with, recycling in mind with sustainability in mind with, with waste so you probably you've probably already got D- dfr you know design for recycling or design for sustainability Absolutely. the circular economy
1: there's All design for disassembly that's been around for a while yeah um, but the circularity is a tougher nut to crack and that's mm. because you aren't always in control ultimately of where the waste goes to right so, so yeah. you might be able to you know an original Vehicle manufacturer, for instance, will map out, and I notice uh, there's a recent initiative by Jaguar Land Rover to get all of the X um, uh, battery packs from their vehicles into the agricultural community to be yeah. used on farms, yeah. bought for ancillary equipment on farms, because they've got to find a way to repurpose the product at the end of its life within that confines of being in a vehicle. Yeah. What ne- then needs to happen, obviously, after that, Someone needs to take the step of saying what happens to those batteries after they have their youthful life in an agricultural context. So it just goes on and on and on. And that is how we get, ultimately, to a better management of resources. Rather than just let's make it today, it doesn't matter what we make it of, as long as it satisfies the client's requirements. I think there's got to be that partnership, and again, the word integration, of everyone down the line. Not just the people who are making and disassembling or the people who are using like us as consumers, but also the disassembly, um, are bringing to here, um, things like packaging. Yeah. Everybody hates plastic packaging. Sure. You know, you ask anyone, nobody's going to tell you they love plastic packaging.
0: <laughs> That's but, true. Very true. But
1: guess what? Most of what you receive is packaged plastic. And there are very, very good reasons for that. Um, because there aren't always alternatives. So what's happening now with things like, um, uh, distribution of pharmaceuticals and self-use of medical devices is the packaging is being designed totally for reuse. Yeah. So, you, so moving forwards, you will receive your your drugs in a small sender unit. It might be a little tube, or it might be some sort of um, uh, uh, unit that you put onto your arm and you press to deliver the drug into you. So you need to remove that from the packaging safely so it arrives with you safely you remove it from the packaging safely you then need to put it back into the packaging and then ultimately when all of those elements are back in the packaging the packaging goes back to the original supplier yeah who then recycles that packaging as the packaging so we're not talking about remaking the packaging we're talking about removing those components that you've used recycling those cleansing the packaging be it under uv light or any any kind of treatment And then reusing that. So you can see very quickly how we're going to get to a situation where the packaging will be more intricate than what it contains. And it's Mm. probably going to cost more for the packaging than the components that are contained within it. So then you look at the global scale. It's no surprise to see some of the massive acquisitions globally that have been taking place of packaging companies by by people like um, Amazon. Yeah, they've been buying up these companies so that they get the full circularity of yeah. the process chain. So they're all logistics companies that are buying up plastic packaging companies um, for for this continuum. Yeah, that's going to exist.
0: Well, that's a, that's a great thing. I was going to ask you actually. You you, you mentioned the, the the GTMA member that had sort of won this King's Award. Um, yeah, are you seeing a lot of collaboration between members on? How they got there or, you know, best practice and how to, you know, is, is there a sort of, blue, you know, once a, a, one company has been successful at this, you know, are, are they tending to want or have enough time to then share that knowledge and best practice with other other members, for example?
1: Well, the, the, those that achieve are, are evangelists and they want to share the story. Those that have not achieved that are, are the more reluctant people and yeah, they will they yeah. will be forced into adopting the best practice. So, so you've got a choice, really, haven't you? You, yeah. you you set your stall out, you become part of the best practice, or you wait until you're dragged to kicking and screaming, or you refuse to take part and you're out of business. Yeah. There really are only those options as a manufacturer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, you know, just, just small things. We, we've got a company in membership who specialize in retrofit elements onto machining centers that will reclaim for you more of your cutting fluid. And extract for you more of the swarth componentry in that cutting fluid, yeah, and they use all sorts of clever techniques, including magnetics to do that, and they'll retrofit that on your machine. So hey, guess what? You get more out of your cutting your cutting yeah. fluid, so you get yeah. better value for money, less effluent, less disposal, so your carbon footprint is is reduced. So all these little things add up to a much better way to make what you are making in the first place. And You might even not improve the product, but you can improve the process to get the product. Yeah.
0: I dare say some of that may... Would that result in a sort of lower piece price as well? Um, it can do, yeah. So there's another benefit as well. So uh, it should be like pushing against an open door, really, shouldn't it? Um,
1: I, I think once it happens once or twice, the pre-qualification side of things, Once yeah. you once you realise as a company that doing these things gets you through an open door to compete for work then of course you're going to carry on on that journey yeah yeah brilliant
0: okay are there any initiatives coming up or any sort of events i know we, we, we were at the interplast i mean is there anything else in the calendar this year um that, that gtma are involved in that, that manufacturing professionals should look forward to maybe getting involved in or, or visiting
1: Yes, certainly. Um, Later this month, um, the 25th, 26th um, of October, there's a supply chain event in Glasgow. Uh, It's not being run by the GTMA. It's being run by a company we work closely with. So I'll be speaking there about the opportunities in modular construction, uh, particularly for the nuclear side that we've mentioned, the small nuclear reactors. Um, There are are a few other interesting talks there as well. Um, And so we'll be trying to engage people to talk about GTMA membership. And um, we're looking to set up a Scotland event next year. So some of the people we've been talking to will be there to meet with me um, to discuss maybe stating that at the MIS Centre, okay. <clears throat> which is the National Manufacturing Scotland yes. um, Centre just outside Glasgow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's followed the following week by Advanced Manufacturing at the NEC, a two-day yep. event. Um, that will be very busy. We're in that period at the moment where people are attending trade shows and particularly SMEs are out there. Keen to talk to people about what they do and yeah. what they can offer. And then moving into next month, uh, we run a, uh, a unique event uh, called Meet the Toolmaker. Uh, we run this um, every two years with the British Plastics Federation. Okay. So what we do is we line up the best toolmakers. So we'll have 30 toolmakers who will all have desktop displays. And the British Plastics Federation will bring the molders to that event. We're running it within Incom. So we can showcase okay. the training that's going on at the Incom facility, so promoting the best practice in what they do. yeah. Um, and it's just one junction away from the Jaguar Land Rover plant for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. That will attract their attention as well. So yeah. that's run on the 15th of November, free to attend. Where GTMA run an event, we try to run it free to attend, free to park. Okay. Um, to, to maximize the attendance. Um, they tend to be one-day events. Um, So that's running in November on the 15th. Meet the toolmaker. Anyone puts it into the internet search engines, they'll get that. Um, And and then we kind of go into a quieter period in December, and then we emerge in January. We are at Autosports, which is in the first week of January. There is a big engineering section in Autosports because, of course, it's all about performance. Yeah. So much as everyone likes to see the shiny facade of a race car or a motorcycle, it's about what goes on in the power plant. Yeah. And yeah. All, that, all that componentry needs to be sorted out along with heat exchangers, drivetrains, et cetera. So GTMA support that. We'll have a group of members at that event uh, springboarding into the new year. Um, and where's that anyone... one being held? When is it? Um, Wh- where? Uh, that's being held at the NEC.
0: Oh, that's at the NEC as well. Okay. Yep.
1: Um, so that's that's run. Um, the... Schedule shows me that uh, 11th and 12th of January is the auto sports show. Great. Uh, I believe it then goes over the weekend for people who are interested in racing cars and that type of thing. It turns into a more social sort of family event. But certainly yeah. for the 11th and 12th, um, it's more technical and it's around around the componentry and what people can do Brilliant for that sector. And with Southern Manufacturing. And so the annual rotation of trade events starts.
0: Yeah it's a vibrant, as you said at the, at the start, you know, it's a vibrant sector. There's lots going on and uh, lots of opportunity. So, okay, well, it's it's been a really interesting discussion uh, today, Alan. Just before we sort of finish up, it, it, do, you, do you have a sort of key message or, or takeaway you'd like to leave for our audience, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what's going on, the importance of uh, you know what GTMA can do. Any, any sort of, you know, if you had a a, a one sentence uh, ending <laughs> statement, what, how how would you summarise that?
1: I, I'd like to do two. I'd like okay, to do go one on, on. Feel on, free. Okay, one on behalf of the GTMA, really first and foremost. That um quite often people who move from companies who are members of the GTMA then reintroduce us to those other companies. Yeah, and that is a telltale sign. They enjoy that that level of support. And GTMA will continue to provide that going forwards. Yeah. We're increasing the number of events we're involved with. I don't have to make a sales pitch. It's a very soft sell as far as GTMA membership goes. You know, we're there to support. We're there to make introductions. We're yeah. there to help generate opportunities um, for the for the manufacturing community. And from my perspective, as a as a personal note, um, I mentioned earlier in the talk uh, entered the engineering fray. In the early 80s, I entered as a structural engineer, civil engineer. Um, I migrated over into being a mechanical production engineer and then went into mechanical engineering. Uh, I find myself now not involved at the core of engineering. But all I say is that fluidity, that ability to move between the disciplines has improved rather than going the other way. The commonality and the overlap between the nuclear industry, for instance, um, the defense industry, the manufacturing industry, the civil engineering construction industry, that's yeah. all embodied in this latest technology with Rolls-Royce.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so an engineer is an engineer. It's someone who has an ability and a knowledge and an interest around solving technical problems. So any of your audience who are in or looking to be recruited into engineering, I would advise them to be very open-minded to where that leads, not just yep. what they achieve in the first place.
0: That sounds like some very, very good advice. I can't disagree with that at all. So, well, Alan, thank you very much for this this conversation. It's been an absolute delight for me. I, I always love learning new things, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of uh, you know value-added insights taken away from this podcast by the by the audience. So that wraps up today's episode. I hope the audience have enjoyed our discussion. Thanks again to Alan Arthur from the GTMA. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Insights for Manufacturing. See you next time and bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.